Good morning, everyone. So great to be here. I'm so encouraged by everyone that's here. And if we could just get our Bibles out and get ready to look into the Word of God and go to the book of Revelation in chapter 4 and verse 11, please. That's the book of Revelation in chapter 4 and verse 11. That's that's where we're going to be drawing most of our thoughts from this morning. And uh, I just want to say I'm so blessed to be here again, so blessed to stand in front of you. I'm thankful that God has allowed me to be here in on His earth, in His pulpit, in front of His congregation, just preaching from His Word. And, and I just want to say that, that it's easy for me to think about the many blessings that God has given me. I woke up this morning, and that was thanks to God. I breathed His air this morning. Thanks be to Him. I woke up in a warm bed this morning. Thanks to God. In a place that I could call home. Thanks to God. On a beautiful earth, on a beautiful Lord's Day morning. Thanks be to God. Thanks to Him for all the grace that He's given me. And I just want to say, it's so so easy to be grateful for these things. It's easy for me to count my many blessings that I've been given. And all that said, a good brother in Christ once told me that the things that we need to preach about are always the things that are the most difficult for us. And so I'd like to say that it's easy for me to acknowledge all the blessings that God has given me But oftentimes I struggle with just this one word. Submission. Complete and total submission to God Almighty. Submission to the one who has given us everything. And not just participating in it. Not just practicing it. But rejoicing in that submission. Let's just take a moment to look at the Oxford Dictionary definition of that word. Submission. Submission is defined... As the act or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. Something I've always struggled with. But I want to say this. God, simply by the nature of who He is, is worthy of our submission. He has given us everything good that we've ever had. He's given us everything good that we ever will have. He's the end. He is the beginning. He is the protector He is the light in the darkness. He is the truth. He is spirit. He's our father. So I could just, I could be your favorite preacher this morning. I could wrap up this sermon right now and say, the answer to the question, why should I submit to God completely? It's quite simple. He is God. But we can look into the word of God and hear it summed up. Even better than I just did in that passage that we turned to earlier in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Here John writes about how the praises are going to be sang in heaven. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And I know it is natural for us to have problems with this concept of submission. And this can come from apathy that we just don't really care or from pride that we, we think we're, we think we're, we're already good enough that we, we already have this all figured out that we can handle it on our own or maybe I already have submitted enough of my life to God. I don't have to render complete submission. Surely he understands. And I understand this. Really, I do. But I want to say, That submission on the surface, while it seems as though it's going to make us weaker or that we're giving up so much, that we'll actually find that we're not losing out 
We're gaining something valuable when we submit to God. This Lord's Day morning, I'm going to give you three of the many countless reasons why submission to God is absolutely worth it. If you would just turn with me in the wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs, please, to chapter 24 and look at verses 3 through 7. That's the book of Proverbs, chapter 24 and verses 3 through 7. The wisdom literature is obviously filled with these tokens about this concept of wisdom. And we're going to be here for most of this point. So, so let's read about uh, what Solomon wrote about wisdom. By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength. And a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance, you can wage your war. And in absence of counselors, and in abundance of counselors, pardon me, there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. Right here we read, wisdom is something that we should be seeking after. It makes our lives full. It allows us to make sense of the world around us. Seeking after wisdom requires great strength of character and of mind. It requires patience, diligence, discipline, humility, trust. The process of becoming wise sharpens our minds. It sharpens all these traits. As we become more wise, we become more righteous. We become more sound in where we stand in our minds. Wisdom is a, tra- is a treasure and a bringer of peace in our lives. If we could just flip over in the book of Proverbs to chapter 3 really quick, we can learn a little bit more about wisdom. Chapter 3 and look at verses 13 through 18, please. That's 13 through 18 in the chapter 3 of Proverbs. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Solomon says, wisdom is extremely valuable. More than anything material that we can imagine. Let's just picture in our heads all the stuff that we want. And it may be a new house, a new car, um, a certain person's approval or respect or, or a new job or position. A promotion, money, it doesn't matter. Wisdom is worth way more than all of that because without wisdom... We can't understand or make sense of any of these things that we have. Wisdom is the process of making sense of the world. So I don't know about you, but now that I've been talking about how valuable it is, how useful the utility of wisdom, I'm just wondering, like, where can I get it? Where do I have to go to get some of this wisdom stuff? Just just stay with me in the book of Proverbs and move to chapter 2 and verse 6. We don't have to go too far to figure out where wisdom comes from. That's Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6. Who gives wisdom? The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. When we submit to God, we don't have to be ignorant of questions like, why am I here? What is right? What is wrong? What's going to happen tomorrow? Why did this happen yesterday? What if I die tomorrow? We know the answers. God is the answer. So let's just 
Consider Joseph, the son of Jacob in the Old Testament. Let's just turn to chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. And let's look at verses, uh, let's, let's just notice in verses 3 to 4 how Joseph's brothers hated him. Because he was their father's favorite son. Look in verses 6 through 8 now. Read with me please in verses 6 through 8 in the book of Genesis chapter 37. Where Joseph has this dream and he decides like, I want to share this with my brothers because I'm really excited about it. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now we know that later this decision to share his dream with his brothers led Joseph into all kinds of trouble um, to the point where he was captive in Egypt. But the point is that him sharing this dream, it was not the decision of a wise person. He already knew that his brothers hated him and he wanted to go out of his way to tell them that he was going to rule over them and he saw this in his dreams. At best, this was an ignorant thing to say. And at worst, it was extremely prideful and boastful. However, if we look in the book of Acts, chapter 7 and verse 10, the book of Acts in chapter 7 and verse 10, we learn about how Joseph actually remained faithful to the Lord later in his life and thus received much wisdom and favor from God that allowed him to achieve a position of high nobility in Egypt and a lot of influence and, and showed faithfulness through most of his life. And there it is again, this concept. Who gave Joseph wisdom? As Joseph submitted to God, he gained more wisdom because God is the source of wisdom. And the best part is that he provides it completely free of any cost to us. All we have to do is open up his word and pray to him and seek wisdom and we can have it. It's a sweet deal. Where can you go to find something more valuable than any treasure completely for free except from God? If we just look into his word, we can find God's gift of wisdom. Especially, we can find what we have to do to seek that wisdom in the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You can have wisdom. All you got to do is want it, and really earnestly seek it, and you can have it. So as we submit further and further to God, we're going to become more wise. But that's not the only thing that we're going to become. People, We're going to become more peaceable, more optimistic. We're going to look, look forward to the future with joy. We're going to be more charitable. We're going, to be, we're going to be servants. We're going to shine. And people are going to notice that there's just something different. And they should notice that if we're truly following Christ. That said... All these people noticing all these good stuff. We're not doing this for them. We're not people pleasers. We're not submitting to God so that other people will like us. So that we can have this person's approval, this person's approval, this person's approval. No. But we do have influence in society. Everything we do shows an influence on other people. Because So we can have a positive impact on people from who we are and who we can choose to be. And we can read about that in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Let's turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5 and look at verses 13 through 16, please, and, and just, just listen to the words of Jesus. That's Matthew chapter 5 and verses 13 through 16. You 
are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do we understand what Jesus is saying here? Do we get this? That it's our responsibility and our privilege to be a good influence in society. We cannot hide that part of ourselves because we're like afraid or we're tired or we're suffering or we woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. No, none of those excuses are worth anything because we are wearing as Christians. If you're a Christian, you are wearing a name tag at all times in every location that says, hello, I'm a Christian. And people are looking at that and people should ought to see Christ in you. And when I think about this, I just think about Paul the Apostle. And I think about how he how he was in society before he was a Christian, and then how he was after he decided to submit to Christ and to God. We read about him ravaging the church in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, and and we read about how he was a Pharisee known as Saul, and then and, and then later he expressed that, that all this stuff that he did was was worth nothing. It was religious royalty, essentially, and, he, and he, he takes no value in it. Um, let's just look in the book of Philippians in chapter 3 and look at verses 3 through 8. To, and, and we can see what, what Paul's opinion about his, his former self before he was baptized and died with Christ. We can, read, we can read Paul's thoughts on his past self and his present self. That's Philippians chapter 3 and verses 3 through 8. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence... If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. When we make ourselves servants and we take that role upon ourselves, some people are going to be inspired by the sacrificial love that we see being expressed by Christ over and over again in the word that we're trying to mirror by making ourselves servants. People see that. They see love, compassion, and service in us. And because of that, wouldn't it be logical that they might want to see where that love is coming from amidst all the darkness that's in this world? What is the source of this love? That's going to open the door to evangelism. That's going to allow us to give people the greatest service that they can ever receive. And that's pointing someone right to the cross. That there's no greater help that you can give someone. You can pick someone up on the side of the road. You can give them money. You can put in a good word for them in a job interview. And none of that is anything compared to the, the power of pointing someone to the cross. So when we act in servitude, people see Jesus in us. There's no greater power in the world. We have fellowship with God when we do this. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. 
It's Paul's letter to Corinth. Um, he's writing here that for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When we point people to the cross, we access the power of God. Now, we know that submitting to God is going to teach us. It's going to make us more wise. It's going to allow us to be that salt of the earth and influence people and, and be a servant in society. And we think about this and we think, oh, that sounds really good, you know. But a lot of us still have trouble with this concept of submission. We have our own ideas and our pride tends to lead us to thoughts like, I don't need anyone. I don't need anyone's guidance. I'm, I've, I'm fine. I'm put together. I refuse to submit. I've got it all figured out. I don't need help. But have we considered that when you choose to not submit to God, that it's not actually a neutral decision, that it's actually a choice to submit to another power completely? Let's just look in the first epistle to John in chapter 3 and verse 8. The first epistle of John chapter 3 and verse 8. First John 3, 8 reads, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So when we don't submit to God, we submit to this world, to pleasure, to the devil. And I know what you're thinking already. Just because I'm not rendering full submission to God doesn't mean I'm submitting to the devil. Like, I I mean, I'm giving a little bit of an effort here. Like, I'm not trying my best and I know that. But I'm not submitting to the devil. Whoa, Cain, calm down there, bud. The Word of God says otherwise. Let's look in Paul's second letter to the Corinth in chapter 11 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, please. Paul's, Paul's writing a second letter to the Corinthians here. Um, and he just says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We can read right here. This means that as long as we are not sincerely and purely devoted to Christ, we are we are sinning. And when we sin, we devote ourselves to Satan. We are being deceived if we think otherwise. We're telling ourselves, oh, I'm just sitting on the fence. I don't want to make a full commitment right now. I've got other stuff going on in my life and I'll get around to it eventually. I'll sort it out eventually. I'm on the fence. Newsflash. The fence is a lie. It's an illusion. There is no fence. And if there were a fence, the devil would have the property rights to that fence. Let's think of King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 and verse 28, who told Paul, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. If we believe that the Bible is true, and Agrippa never obeyed the gospel, and he never rendered submission to God, he's almost there. He hasn't given all of his life to God. Where do we think Agrippa is now? Since we have no record of him obeying the gospel. What happened to him? We don't have to guess because the Bible will tell us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, those who obey not the gospel will be taken in vengeance and flaming fire. If Agrippa never obeyed the gospel, that's what's going to happen to him. If you've never obeyed the gospel, that's the path that you're on. We even read in Revelation chapter 3 about how those that have faith but have become lukewarm and content in their faith, are not going to make it to heaven either. They will be spit out of the Lord's mouth. So if we refuse to be obedient to God, according to the Bible, we submit to Satan's plan for our lives. 
Spoiler, it doesn't end well. However, through being submissive to God's will, we can have that victory over Satan. Let's turn to James chapter 4 and verse 7, please. James chapter 4 and verse 7. We don't want to submit to Satan's desires to drag us down to hell with him when judgment comes. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There it is, plain and simple. We submit to God, we'll have the victory over the devil. Now I've given you those three big reasons that submission to God is so worth it. Submission to God is going to sharpen our mind. It's going to make us more mentally sound. We're going to be at peace. We're going to make sense of the world around us. We're going to be able to understand answers to the questions of what's wrong and right. Where's my place in the world? What's my purpose? What's my drive? What's my focus? We're going to know that. We're going to be able to be a positive influence in society. We're going to show people what it means to be a servant, what it means to to love people and and go out of our way for people. And that's going to inspire them to look to the cross and, and see Jesus. And that's powerful. And then we, we, I talked about how submission is our only way to oppose Satan. Submission to God is our only way to oppose submission to Satan. We have to be in submission to one or the other. There is no fence. However, the main reason that we should want to submit to God that encompasses not just the three reasons that I mentioned already, but any reason you could think of to submit to God is that we ought to be like Jesus. He was the perfect example of submission. After all, let's, let's just think about Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's just turn to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. That's Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, please. Here we read that, that Jesus, Jesus, he knew he was going to have to endure the crucifixion. Very soon, he knew what was coming. What, what, what was he praying for here? He was in prayer. He was deep in prayer. What was he praying for? He prayed saying, My Father... If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's our attitude. How much are we willing to sacrifice for the greater good? How much are we willing to give to God in our lives? How much hope, faith, and trust do we have that his word is true? Jesus Christ's attitude in the Garden of Gethsemane, that should be our attitude. We should be like Jesus. He could have called down 10,000 angels to destroy the whole world and all the people that were responsible for his death. He didn't do that. He was crucified for you because it was God's will. He was submissive to God until death. This should be our attitude. Christ crucified is the most powerful image in all of history. And if we are faithful and willing to dedicate our lives to him, we can access that great power of God in the waters of baptism. Let's just look at Romans chapter 6 and look through verses 4 through 5, please. That's Romans chapter 6 and verses 4 through 5. We can mirror Christ in that perfect, most powerful act of submission that has ever taken place. Let's just read here. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him 
in a resurrection like his. Christ knew that submitting to God was completely worth it. That God was worthy. He had the wisdom to do that. He was a servant and he knew that that was his victory over Satan. And the victory for God, the father of all, who created everything, who's given us everything. Everything good in your life is because of him. So now I have to pose the question. Is it worth it to you to follow God, to follow Christ in our submissiveness to God? To show that great strength of mind. To shine a light to the world just like he did. And stop submitting to the will of the devil. Is it worth it to you? Christ thought that it was. He knew that it was. He thought that you were worth dying for. Decide now whether it's worth it to submit to a being of perfect wisdom and the loving creator that has given you everything. Do not submit to the will of Satan. Submit to God and lend yourself to his power as we stand and as we sing.